day and welcome back. It's Saturday the 8th of June, 1946. I'm not going to say much of anything other than there are road trips and then there are road trips. Today we hear from Betty in the middle of a road trip. Mrs. Betty Souter, Unra, Nan Chang, Chang C. 8th June, 1946. Written on board SS Chimei Yangtze River. Dear Mother, Never let an opportunity slip, said my father. So here I go, with my little typewriter, writing to you under the most unusual circumstances. Things happen fast here, when they happen at all. On Wednesday, a wire arrived at Nanchang, requiring a representative from Nanchang to attend a conference at Wuhu, Nanking and Qinqiang. As luck would have it, many of the staff were away from the office, and so I barged in and established myself as being the proper person to attend. Claude Brewer agreed. So he, as acting director, and I, as reports officer, are now on the way. We had to wait on Thursday for another chap, Tony Drail, to catch up with us and join us on the trip. Yesterday, Friday, we left Nanchang by jeep, six of us and luggage on board one very ordinary-sized jeep, and travelled the 121 miles to Kyu Chang in much discomfort, heat and dust. I have not stopped dripping for the last two days here, and I believe we have this same humidity for several months without a break. Well, the jeep drive was quite terrific, especially when we had a flat tyre and were held up in one of the hottest spots on the road for half an hour. But we ate our very dry sandwiches to fill in the time and took a swig from the flask of lukewarm water, so the delay was not so bad. We arrived at Kyu Chang at about 4pm, having left Nan Chang at about 8.30am, which was really quite good time. The mission is run by two American ladies who are quite charming and who have visited us at Nan Chang several times. I think that I already told you that we live in one of the Methodist buildings there. Unfortunately, it was really too hot to be enjoyable and I continued to drip even after I got to bed. Yes, it was a filthy night. My pyjamas were quite wet when I lifted myself off the bunk this morning, and my shirt was quite soaked ten minutes after I put it on. But that's how it is in China. At 5.30, I was up again and packed, just my kit bag this time, and had breakfast after prayers at 6.15. The idea then was to get a sampan and go out into the middle of the river and wait there until a boat of some kind came by whereupon we would jump a ride. But we were lucky. A nice clean cargo boat was in the stream, having collected its cargo from Kyu Chang and was about to move downstream. In a terrific rush, we tore along the road to the nearest point on the shore, with rickshaws going flat out, much shrieking in Chinese and otherwise, to the ship out in the river. They couldn't hear a word of it, of course, and after a general brawl among the competitors for the job, boarded a little sampan, dumped our kit and ourselves into it, and rocked and bucked our way out to alongside the ship. 
which was just raising anchor and was well steamed up. The skipper is a Norwegian, and the boys pushed me onto the fore to parlay with him, so down came the rope ladder just as we were beginning to get caught in the wake. And your dear little daughter, who is serving with Unra in China, was the first up and over the side of the ship. The Chinese crew thought it a huge joke when they saw it was a she, and the Norwegian first mate took my hand in true Riley fashion as I very ungracefully heaved one leg over the rail and then the other. And boy, I was in a lather of perspiration by this time. The skipper was only too glad to have us on board, but said that there was no food available unless we could talk the Chinese chef steward into it. But there was coffee. Further, there was no sleeping accommodation at all. But he could let us have one camp stretcher and two deck chairs on the top deck. The main decks are stacked with cargo, but we do not mind. It is a wonderfully clean ship, thanks to the few Western officers in charge, and it is only for two days anyway. As for the eating, another little job for Betty Mavis. The boys insist that I use my charms, if any, in getting the things that they cannot get. I went to work on the steward, and we have just emerged from the eating cabin, well satisfied and replenished, for the equivalent of six shillings each. Vegetable soup, boiled mutton, beans and potatoes, kidney omelette, fresh oranges, coffee and bread and jam. How's your form? said my companions. I have had words with the captain, who is most regretful about not having any provisions for us, but he has shared his iced water so far, and he is now entertaining the boys with whiskey in his cabin. This conference that we are heading for is of considerable importance, and I consider that I am now in a position to furnish valuable information. In these two months, I have learned a terrific amount about the needs and the potentialities of Changxi province. Between Claude and I, I think we will be able to give all the necessary information. Three neighbouring provinces are being represented, and the idea is to coordinate our resources as far as possible and arrange for a better shipping system as between our respective ports. I'm getting an extra kick out of the journey, as I have heard that Harry Bishop will be there too, and he has no idea at all that I'm on the way. Strangely enough, I had a note from him yesterday saying that he'd been posted to Chin Kiang and, being very facetious, won't you come down and see me because I'm missing you such a lot. I know he will just about fall off his little perch when I walk into the office and, as soon as he shuts his mouth again, he will make the customary comment, well, how is your butte form? I believe that we stay over at Anking tonight and until loading is complete tomorrow morning. Then we continue to Wuhu, arriving there at night. Wuhu is Tony's regional office. Then we take the jeep the next day to Nanking, where we will stay a day, and then by boat down the river again to Qinqiang. Probably we'll be there for two days, and then Claude and I make our way home again as best we can. And he is hoping the best will not be too bad. 
You can just about imagine all these things that I'm telling you. I thought of you all the time that I was bucking around in the little boat and as I clambered up onto that rope ladder. Now that it's all over, I don't mind telling you, but golly, I am glad that you did not see it all happening. I sure do get around, and the boys seem to think that I can take it too. It is a good thing that they like to have me along with them. In spite of the rather bad effort at typing, I'm really becoming quite an expert on the little machine. I have to. Goodness knows what I would have done without it. I have it on my lap now, and my chair is none too steady. The wind is blowing the paper always, but it is too hot to get under the shelter. 9th June 1946, woohoo. Well, you will see that I have progressed a bit further, but I must go on from where I left off. The boys and the captain emerged just as I came to the end of the last page, together with gin and lime. I partook and we chatted. The afternoon was still oppressively hot, but we sat on the bridge and caught all the breeze that there was. Coffee with the captain at 4pm, and then, at dinner time, as he went down to the mess, he ushered us into his cabin again, where there was a chicken dinner laid out on his desk for us. Nice fellow, the captain. Then, at midnight, after much iced tea, more gin and lime, etc., came the sleeping problem. I had a shower in the captain's shower, he furnishing clean towel, etc., and in the meantime he put up the stretcher at one end of the bridge in a lovely cool breeze with sheet, pillow and mosquito net. He really did his utmost, and so I retired to rest out under that open sky on the bridge of the cargo ship. I forgot to mention that the ship anchored midstream at dark so that the bridge was quite deserted. The captain invited the two boys to use the two lounges in his study and cabin, and having wished me pleasant dreams, off they trotted, leaving me to my solitude and compasses. I guess I was just about asleep when there came a flash of lightning and before I knew what had struck me, pelting rain. Alas and alack, I shot off my bunk like a startled chicken, pulled on my shoes, I was of course fully clothed otherwise, and gathered my bedding under the shelter. It was good, solid, tropical rain. I had done most of the reorganising when there came three worried men panting up the ladder. They really were most concerned. Within a short time, amidst much chatter, anxiety and coolie labour, I was transplanted to the lower deck, just outside the door of the captain's cabin, and was made to promise that I would shriek for help if I got wet again, or if I needed anything at all. But I was set and slept soundly till the first mate bought me a cup of coffee at about 6am, just as the ship weighed anchor and set off for Woohoo. Following what was now the custom, we breakfasted in the captain's cabin, eggs, coffee and toast, while he was in his wardroom, and no sooner had we finished than Woohoo came into sight. The ship had made the trip in record time. I have not yet mentioned Ching, the boy who accompanied Tony as guide and interpreter. He is a most intelligent youth, 
though a bit cocksure. He told Tony that he was glad to have me to look after, and believe me, he was like a faithful puppy all the way. He managed our rickshaws, bargaining, getting the sampan, etc. Definitely an asset. On arrival at Woohoo, we took our time about leaving the ship and finished up by bringing the captain to the hostel with us. Here, the men only live at the hostel, which has the office accommodation. The girls live up at the hospital, where I am staying for the two nights, right on the hill, overlooking the river and the town, and where there is a simply delightful breeze all the time. At the hostel, I met the staff and was welcomed in the usual way. Then, a great burly six-foot-four Norwegian drove me in the open jeep at daredevil pace to the hospital. We arrived safely, and he left me with my luggage to settle in. I was happy to change my clothes at long last, and got into my very best khaki shirt and skirt, and was taken by the superintendent on a complete tour of the hospital, which is indeed a lovely building. By the time the tour of inspection was over, Kare was back with the jeep for me to return to the hostel for Tiffin. We had not gone more than a hundred yards when down came the rain again. Kare boomed out something about how did I like China and then chuckled a deep chuckle and told me that the Chinese had pinched the hood from the jeep. By the time we had covered the necessary mile, I was absolutely soaked and landed in on the men like a drowned rat. I demanded and received from Tony a dry shirt, which is only about nine inches too long in the sleeves and which keeps my knees nicely warm, and so I sat in state at the officer's mess with my hair dripping and looking anything but a glamour girl. However, once again they gave me a toaster's the Australian lass who can take it. And we went into dinner. Then came the bombshell. The man who has demanded our presence at the conference is ill, and the conference is off. Wouldn't it? <laughs> Nevertheless, Claude and I can find a reason for going to Nanking, and we will go there the day after tomorrow. Tomorrow we will be busy making plans with the director here. I do not know how long we will be in Nanking. I have cabled Harry and asked him to make it too, in spite of the altered plans. Twelfth June, Chinkiang. I'm certainly having trouble getting this letter written, but I want to write it as I go, as there is so much to tell you. My typewriter and gear are all in Nanking, and you will have noticed that I am in Chinkiang with only the dirty clothes I stand up in. But let me keep it consecutive. This letter is beginning to look battered, but you shouldn't be surprised. On the 10th, we were busy at the Woohoo office discussing the activities of our two provinces, dovetailing our policies, etc. Claude and I drew up a comprehensive statement for Shanghai and decided, having proceeded so far, to continue our journey and have conferences, though not the intended formal ones, with the persons available. Tony showed me the town of Woohoo by moonlight per jeep, most romantic, and at 1am I fell to bed, hoping I would wake up in good time for the next hop. 
On the 11th, then, up at 5.30, breakfast at 6.30, and waiting on the porch at 7 for the boys to collect me. I had a long wait, cheap trouble. But at 9, they turned up and bundled me in. This time, Claude and I were accompanied by the huge Norwegian, Kare, and an interpreter. Again, we travelled in the hoodless jeep, but Kare's too tall for a hood anyway. He also has to put the windshield down flat because the top of it cuts across his line of vision. So we travelled open to sun and wind over terrible roads at considerable speed, the 60-odd miles to Nanking. It had been raining the night before, and by the time I got out at Nanking, I was pretty well splattered in mud. But the sun had dried it out, and it doesn't notice as much on khaki. I collected some suntan too, which is a good thing because it hides my Atabran complexion. Believe me, it was some ride, and I was glad to see the city walls of China's capital. We found a good clean cafe. Kare, or Tiny, has been to Nanking several times, and then the UNRWA office. The big shot was away, reason for cancellation of conference, but I found a couple of girls I knew, cleaned up in their room, and then, to my great delight, found Bill Taylor sitting in the office. He was as surprised as I. It was super to meet him again. He had a bit of disappointing news for me in that Harry's gone back to Shanghai. However, we expect these things to happen. Not much rest for the wicked. I barely had time to talk with Bill before being told to dump my belongings at Nanking before careering off to the railway station with briefcase only, containing overnight necessities, to fight our way to the Qingqiang train. It was necessary to drive the jeep tiny at the wheel, right across the city to get to the station. It is really quite a modern and lovely city, not much damaged. I'm intrigued by the great city wall. Some 30 feet high and 15 feet thick, which surrounds it. I believe the wall is 60 li, or about 25 miles long. It would once have made the city a solid, closed fortress. We found the station and, strangely enough, got tickets without much trouble and even found the right train. There's only one anyway. Tiny is the best buttress I know and we heaved onto the train without much trouble. Strange again, the train is modern and well-equipped with a dining and refreshment service. It is the one and only train I have yet seen in China at all but it's a good one. The journey was pleasant. Iced beer and lemonade as an interlude. About 50 miles in less than one and a half hours. Qingqiang, first stop. Nanking had told Unra here to expect us, so there was a weapons carrier at the station, with an Australian doctor as reception committee. Straight to the office and arranged to have our conference at 8pm last night. Two Aussies to make me feel at home. A girl, Leslie Excel, and a man, Graham Johnston. Although I had to get back into a muddy shirt and slacks, did I ever tell you that I purchased a pair of drill slacks in Manila which are invaluable? I felt better for a bath. They have a top-notch crowd of people here. I like them all. I was not so keen on the woo-hoo staff. 
We held our conference as planned, and it proved to be most elucidating and constructive. Uhu, Nanchang, and Qingqiang are all in complete agreement on the policies advanced, and it's up to the big shot to now approve and proceed. The meeting didn't break up until 11pm, and I was pretty tired once again. I was pleased when the US director said to me at the end of the meeting, in the presence of everyone, Mrs Souter, you are a true Australian. I've got a great deal of respect for all of you. I've never met an Australian yet who doesn't know all the answers, nor one who doesn't do a good job, and you obviously are one of the best of them. This recommendation of UNRWA Australians is very general, and I throw my chest out a little more every time I hear it. It makes you feel good. Tired as I was, I climbed the hill at the back of the hostel with one of the girls to see Qingqiang at night. It was well worth the exertion. The hill commands a view of the city and of the Yangtze winding away into the hills. Truly lovely. The silver river in the moonlight. We couldn't stay long on the hill because this is bandit and communist territory and there is a midnight curfew. The city just bristles with national soldiers who fear an attack at any time by the communists who are just over the other side of the Yangtze. This morning, I spent an hour at the office, and now I am filling in time till our train leaves for Nanking at noon. Tiny left on a freight train earlier this morning, as he had work in Nanking, and he will meet us with the jeep when we get there. Claude and I plan to go direct from Nanking to Qiang by boat, missing out on Wuhu on return. Yes, it's been a good trip, even if the roughest yet finding me always in dirty clothes, wind-blown and sunburned. No, don't take that too seriously, mother dear. I remember that I am a turton suitor, and I think I always manage to look respectable, even in the most trying situations. It's about time to pack my briefcase. Just imagine travelling in a strange country, between two big cities, staying a night in one of them, a round trip of some 200-odd miles, and wearing a dirty shirt and slacks, and only luggage a briefcase, half filled with business papers. Sounds silly, doesn't it? So for now, I'll finish. We'll probably do a circular letter when I get back to Nanchang, but it may miss some details that I've written here. Anyway, I'll send you the original as usual. Bill will post this for me from Nanking or Shanghai which will cut out a fortnight in time of delivery to you. Oh, my love, mother dear. I'm fine and getting very chubby, just thriving. Your boo. P.S. Harry gave an article to correspondent Gordon Curry of Sydney for publication in the Daily Mail. Will you look out for it? About UNRWA in China and probably mentions me among other Aussies. Would like a copy if you ever come across it. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry. Voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn. And the featured tune from 1946. Get Your Kicks on Route 66. Performed by the Nat King Cole Trio.
If you ever plan to motor west Travel my way Take the highway, that's the best Get your kicks on Route 66 It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than two thousand miles all the way Get your kicks on Route 66 Now you go through St. Louis, Joplin, Missouri And Oklahoma City looks mighty pretty You'll see Amarillo Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona, Kingman, Boston, San Bernardino, won't you get hip to this timely tip when you make that California trip. Get your kicks on Route 66. Six. 